Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understanding you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. Brady, we're sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I pitch on Shark Tank? And um, th- this is a cool episode to do. Uh, to do for a, a lot of reasons. You know, obviously, Shark Tank is a is a fascinating phenomenon. It's it's an, it's an attempt to to put the American entrepreneurial dream on stage in a microcosm, um, in in sort of a miniaturized format. And I'm going to speak very vaguely about that because I've actually never watched the show start to finish. I've watched maybe I watched five minutes or so, and I've watched the the recording of the pitch of our guests that are coming on today. But, you know, Shark I sort of turned around, I looked at, looked it up, Shark Tank has been around since 2009, um, which is a remarkable run for a television show and a remarkable run for a television show of, of the type that it is. But I, I think one of the things that really gives it, that really gives it its, its legs, if you will, is, is the fact that it, it does encapsulate something that we as Americans really romanticize, which is the one big shot, right? It's, it's, it's Hollywood meets Silicon Valley. And, and just as, as entertainers want to be discovered, so do entrepreneurs want to be discovered. And it's an interesting forum in the respect that, that, you know, most companies that get funded with venture capital are, are either software based or they're trying to cure a disease for the most part. And neither things are uh, neither of those things is bad. I, I'm not going to criticize either one, but the fact of the matter is, then if you have uh, a business where somebody has, for example, a consumer product, product as we're going to talk about today, the the channels to go find that investment, frankly, are um, frankly are less clear. And, and and so you know, it's 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 a fascinating phenomenon. And, and our guests are uh, a couple of folks that I've known for uh, a number of years. They've, they've come to my office hours back in the days when we had office hours in person. I think I'm going to resume those back in August or so. Um, and, you know, they, they ultimately took it all the way, which is just, you know, which is just fantastic. And, and they're just, you know, they're just such nice, humble people. You never know that, that they've, they've produced the success that they have, but when you're going to feel the same way after you hear them, as I do, you're going to be thrilled for every bit of success um, that 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 they have. And joining us today are Kate Mallory and Lou Childs, who are a mother daughter team who are co-founders of Slumber Pod. They appeared on Shark Tank in 2020, which is last year, and received an investment offer. And I'm I'm putting it that way for a reason because I know a little bit about how the show works, and we'll learn more about that. 
But Slumber Pod is the first portable privacy sleep nook that allows babies to sleep in their safe and familiar play yard or travel crib with room to sit up or stand up inside. The, the patent-pending Slumber Pod solves the age-old problem of getting a good night's sleep while sharing a room with your little one. And I've, I've been there. We've had two little ones, and we have some bloodshot eyes in those days. Babies and toddlers can easily nap in bright or distracting conditions approved for indoor use only. Now, the other interesting, interesting thing is this is this is almost really, if we're honest about it, kind of a side gig. Katie is also Director of Internal Communications and Sales and Marketing at Cox Automotive here in Atlanta, and Lou is an adjunct professor of marketing at LaGrange College. Kate and Lou, um, welcome to the program. Thank you, Thank Mike. you, Mike. So good to be here. Yeah, and thank, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, I, I know you have a lot of demands on, on your time, and, and also I'm sure a lot of people want to talk to you because you're, you're now big stars. Um, so, you know, for those of us who, for those, the audience that has not heard of SlumberPod, what, what, you know, what exactly is it beyond what I said, and how did you come up with the idea? Sure. Uh, so you talked a little bit about the challenge we solve for, and that is the story of our product's inception. So um, my uh, husband, Dan, who Mike happens to know, um, which is how Mike and I originally met, and I were visiting my mom for Christmas, what would that be, seven years ago? And our daughter, who was a great sleeper at home in her own private room with blackout shades, she slept so well at home, but we had to share a room at my mom's house because it was filled with a lot of other family members and there were blinds on the windows, but they didn't really keep out the floodlight that was right outside the window. And our daughter kept waking up and seeing us across the room and not being able to go back to sleep. So we were thinking this would be a magical time of being together with family, with our year and a half old daughter. And it turned out to be anything but that because we were miserable and sleep deprived. And we ended up going home a day early because we slept for two or three hours a night for those two nights that we were there. And as we were leaving and swearing off traveling anytime <laughs> soon, my mom said, gosh, there's got to be something out there that you could buy that would help with this problem. Surely you're not the only one who deals with this. So I looked online for some kind of privacy barrier that goes over a crib or a pack and play or a play yard. And I couldn't find anything. So for a little while, when we finally were comfortable traveling again, we started bringing two cheap camera tripods with us and a sheet and ponytail holders or twist ties to attach the sheet to the tripod tripods. And that created a temporary wall that kept our daughter from being able to see us in hotel rooms, but it didn't solve for keeping her entire sleeping space dark. So if light was coming in through the shades or the curtains, she was still up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. If she had to take a nap, it wasn't dark in there. Um, we were still tiptoeing around, looking at our phones under our covers or hiding in the bathroom. So um, that that certainly helped, but it was cumbersome to set up. It didn't solve all the problems. So flash forward to summer of 2016, when I was on maternity leave with twins, my mom very generously offered to spend a few months with us, helping us get on our feet as a family of five. And it was during that time that she said, Katie, you know, we've got this time together. You and I are both really industrious. We're going to be watching these babies take naps. Why don't we get serious about inventing a solution and so we did. We filed for an LLC, I believe, in June 2016. And that's when we got really serious about making what is now known today as SlumberPod. 
No, you know, the other neat part of this, and I, I could almost make, I could almost make it a, a, I could make it a second show. Um, but we won't get into that today, but I mean the, you know, the dynamic mother daughter working together, mothers and daughters don't always necessarily get along that well, that you can start a, an entrepreneurial company together and be successful. And I know I'm going off the script here, but I, I think that's okay. I am curious as to what is it, what is it about your relationship that that's made you be able to work together so successfully? That is a really great question. And Katie and I have had what we found out now to be a unique mother-daughter relationship in that we have always gotten along. Katie's a little bit of an old soul. So um, in her teenage years, there wasn't a lot of rebellion. Um, I'm also a pretty open person. I don't um, typically overreact when something happens. I try and understand things from everybody's point of view. Um, so she felt real good about bringing me issues or problems or things that we talked through. Um, so we actually are really good friends. Um, we felt, I felt no, um, I guess, hesitation in getting a business together because we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. We know how each other reacts under stress or when, when the chips are down or, and, and we both are really resilient. We have a lot of energy. We're very determined. Um, We do speak our mind, but we do so in a way that is um, respectful and loving Um, So I can only think of maybe one time when maybe I was tired or Katie was that um, we just had to say, okay, we, we need to go to bed and we'll re you know, reconvene on this topic tomorrow. Otherwise we talk things through really well. It's been a great journey together, honestly. Um, And the, the wonderful thing is I thought we were close before, but we're really close now. So I was, it's been a blessing. I was just about to say that, that, um, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate that I get even more time with my mom than my siblings because of this business and what we've started together. And I have to brag on my mom too, because one could think like, oh, like what's your mom going to bring to the table? She's getting closer to retirement age. And that could be nothing further from the truth. She's one of the most technologically savvy people I know. Um, she is a problem solver. She's like, oh, the code needs to be updated in the website. I can I can do that or I can implement this new piece of software or I'll you know, research which review platforms will work the best and which integrate with our other systems the best. I mean, she's a dynamo. Thank you. Well, I, I have a it. feeling I have a feeling I get a lot of emails from people asking for your email address, Lou, for people who want to be adopted. So good for, good for you guys. <laughs> one more at this point. <laughs> um, so what what gave you the idea? I mean, went through that process. What was the leap from from starting the business and, and developing the project product? Why go on Shark Tank? I mean, I. I haven't really seen the show, but you probably have. And I know that, that not every entrepreneur's experience on the show is awesome. Um, what motivated you to, to think about that and try that? So first off, you know, getting on the show is like a needle in a haystack. So 40,000 people apply every year. 40,000. Wow. Yes. Every year. Um, so when we realized when we went on Amazon and after, you know, the first 
five months of being um, on the market, we had $150,000 in sales. And we said, why not? You know, we're crazy. We we really do love to have a lot of fun. Um, as those of you who have seen our pitch can see that we're in pink pajamas with shark slippers. Yeah. Um, but we just said, hey, what the heck? Let's we've got Delta Miles. Let's pick a spot and go stand in line and be in the casting call. And that's exactly what we did. Katie is so good at public speaking. I'm a great sidekick and I'm a lot of fun. Of course, during the pitch, you know, I forget my lines and the the producers thought like, that was hilarious. Um, but I think we're endearing. I think that people kind of feel once they get to know us that they, they want to be our friend. So um, it, it was easy. It was easy to just say, hey, what have we got to lose? Um, we've got a great story and let's go have some fun. And that's what we did. And I, I think it really paid off that we had that attitude. So my, my mom mentioned, Mike, that we had some sales and I wanted to expand on that a little bit because from watching the show, which I think we've both seen every single episode over the last 11 years, we've seen that when companies have no revenue or their only revenue is Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaigns, they really um, get the the ninth degree from the sharks because the sharks don't feel like there's enough to enough to go on to feel confident investing. So having that revenue and not just $5,000 of revenue, but you know, um, I think when we applied, what'd you say, mom was more than 200 or 150 or something like that when we first applied. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time we recorded, we had 600 or $650,000 in revenue in just a couple of months. So that made us feel confident. Of course, there is the exception of the comfy, which is a brand that Barbara Corcoran invested in that was pre-revenue, but she just really felt like those entrepreneurs were magnetic and she she went out on a limb and invested in them, but historically that's not the case. And you know, what's interesting about that is, is in Atlanta among, among, and really I think throughout the Southeast among entrepreneurs, there's a frustration among many entrepreneurs that, that angel investors really want companies that already have revenue. Right. And I think somehow that a lot of them think that they're kind of being picked on or the South is just a lousy place for investment. And what you're talking about on Shark Tank, and you know, those are very accomplished investors, right? They they know what they're talking about. It's interesting that even they, when they're on television, and it's as much entertainment and for them brand building as it is making an actual investment, they're still wanting to see that there's some sort of customer validation out there. Absolutely. And another little disclaimer is that we had two private investors invest in us before we even had really a minimum viable product. And that is a result of um, maybe personality, but also some some privilege and connections as well. Um, So that helped us get off the ground because it is really challenging, especially with a product that has a pretty high manufacturing cost to do all the safety testing and the marketing and the market research and the product development. So I feel where we feel for entrepreneurs who can't get that seed money to get started. And we look forward to being able to get back. It's it, you know, it, it really is tough to get that money. And, and you're right. Those connections really help because I think, well, you, you tell me, but I, in, in my experience, when I've seen those pre-revenue investments happen as much as anything, 
the the I think the investors doing it because they want to just give you a chance to succeed. And then if they get their money back, they're thrilled, but they're not looking at it like they're, you know, JP Morgan saying, I'm going to make a gazillion dollars out of this. Right. <clears throat> and that, that's just kind of, that's just the kind of way that capital works. Silicon Valley is, is an exception. It's just that, right. You can get a few million dollars for a vaporware kind of thing, but man, you know, it's just, it's, it's the exception rather than the rule. You guys, you guys built, you guys built it. You built it the right way. And I think you were, were clearly acknowledged for that. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I've, I've got to ask you, because I did, I did watch your pitch. I actually watched it a couple of times. And you had them rolling in the aisles when you were showing them kind of how people were, were trying to create dark spaces for their kids, right? And the, the canopy that you're putting on the playpen with the jumper cables. And then that, 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 that poor woman who's trying to put tinfoil over the window. I mean, they were just, it was just hilarious. Did you make those up or are those kind of urban legends or did you actually hear of somebody or know someone that actually tried to do those things? Seriously, people tried or, or do have done those things. The jumper cable I've only heard once, but seriously, somebody did tell us that. Yeah. I'm in a lot of mom mom groups so that I can monitor for people mentioning slumber pod. And I've seen people say, hey, I don't want to buy a slumber pod. It's really expensive. What do I do? And you'd be surprised how many people say, oh, we just drape a blanket over the pack and play, which that doesn't sound safe. Or we bring trash bags and we tape them to the windows or we ask for a wheelchair compliant hotel room, which that's kind of sketchy, um, big enough to set up the pack and play inside. And then we go down to the lobby in the night to use the bathroom. So the stories are are wild. It, it really oh, is wow. crazy. Um and one one little aside about the lady who was on Shark Tank with us, she actually was a customer and we'd never met her, but she was such an enthusiast of our product that we invited her to come on the show with us. And her and- son sleeps and still does to this day. And he's over three years old. He slept in slumber pod every night and every nap. So when, I mean, even that day he had napped in slumber pod, but we filmed mid late afternoon, I I can't remember exactly what time and for him to be put inside slumber pot at a time when it wasn't nap time and who are all these people and what are all these lights? Of course he was upset. He couldn't figure it out, but the, the pack and play was might. So the screen, the, his little cries were a lot louder on TV than they were in reality. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, a challenge to keep going, but you're given one take. Yeah. So we were in front of them almost an hour. And then of course they, they edit it down to seven minutes that you see on TV, but TV, but there were a lot more laughter that you missed. So one of the things that people that watched our episode missed was Lori and Robert got inside slumber pod together and we're talking about how dark it was. And Katie said something about this being an HR violation and everybody just howled. So we had a lot of fun on that typing that show. Well, you know, and, and, and I think, I think it shows because I, I cannot, I mean that 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 I did not realize that for seven minutes of video, I guess it makes sense. But seven for seven minutes of video, you had an hour of actual actual material, and it must have been. I mean, I I'd pay money into a Kickstarter to get that to get whatever didn't make the edit. I mean, that's just got to be hilarious. And and then 
you know, to you have a crying child, which I, you know, given what you've described, is predictable, right? You, you, it would have been surprising if you didn't have a crying child in the background, kind of in retrospect. And I'm curious, did you have that plan? Did you sort of think about, okay, what if, what if he's screaming his head off during the entire thing? How are we going to handle it, or do we push through it, or was that was that just something that just came up and you had to deal with? thought about it, but didn't really think that it would be a big deal if he whimpered or, or, you know, made some noise. I guess I didn't realize that, like Robert said, those are real tears, damn it. Um, I I didn't realize that he would get that upset. Um, But I think we handled it pretty well. Um, Elizabeth, you know, his mom was right there with him, scooped him right up, settled him down. I think he was just perplexed by the whole situation. Um, but you just have to keep on going and, um, and, you know, no harm. Yeah. That, that, um, that brings us to another key takeaway about the experience, especially for your listeners who might be interested in applying is that being entertaining is critically important. So if you go out there and you're low energy and you're boring, they might not take your episode to television because they record well more than how many they need. And we know people who went all the way out there, bought all the things for their set, taped it, and then it never ended up showing. So while that crying baby may have hurt some of um, our ability to sell product, you know, some people would say, oh, that's, that's kind of scary. I don't want my baby in that. It certainly helped us make it to television because entertainment, entertainment level is key. Well, I think it's just authenticity too. I mean, if, 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 if you're a parent for more than 10 seconds, you just realize that crying babies are a part of life. And sometimes there's a cause you can address. And sometimes there just isn't a baby's just sometimes going to cry. And that's just all there is to it. Right. So um, so let's walk it back a little bit. I, I'm, I'm really curious about what, what the, sh- what the process is after you, you, you send in an application, they tell you somehow, congratulations, we'd like you to be on Shark Tank or go through some process. What is that like? Were there a lot of phases? What were the phases like? What did you have to do for them? How long did that take? Can you take us kind of through that timeline? Sure. So some of it we're under NDA about, of course, but we we can still tell you um, quite a bit about what the experience was like. So right now, I believe you can only apply for Shark Tank through video submissions. They might bring back the live auditions at some point, but we had the choice of submitting a video or doing a live audition. And we thought that we would have more of a chance of moving forward if we did the live audition because if we could really capture their hearts and minds in that one minute opportunity, that would be much more telling than if a company re-records their pitch 300 times in order to get the perfect cut. So that was um, one thing that we did. And it took, I don't know, two weeks or so to hear back um, with, hey, you're proceeding to the next step. But with every step, they want you to submit either some paperwork or some other materials that tell more of your story. And then, of course, you've also got all the um, background checks and things like that that go along with it because they want to make sure that they're investing their time and resources and people who don't have criminal records or who haven't um, been sketchy in some other other way in the past. Um, But the whole process took about four months from 
interviewing or auditioning to being flown out there, but they do record for several months. We happen to be one of the first companies of that season to go out and interview, but you're assigned um, producers who were incredibly helpful in um, helping us put together like a storyline for our pitch. And since my mom and I are marketers by background, we blended their recommendations with some things that we thought would work well. Um, But overall it was a really neat experience. But to be honest, like we kept, we kept asking ourselves, when is this going to fall apart? Cause certainly with how many people apply for this opportunity every year, are we really going to make it all the way to the end? And even once we taped, we, we had to say, okay, let's not get too excited um, because it's possible that it won't end up happening. And, you know, they could pull us off the air at any point in time. And with that, we had a lot of non-disclosures we had to sign. In fact, that's a funny story that my mom um, could share real quick if we have a second. Yeah, please. So um, one of the steps in the process um, along the way, you have to send additional videos, well, but we had to script our, our pitch. And so I happened to be on an anniversary cruise with my husband and the the next video was due. So in the NDA, it says you can't tell anybody that you have gone beyond the casting call. So I had not told my husband that we were doing this. Wow. We were on our way. I love my husband, but he can't keep a secret. So I knew (laughs) that it would be on the next billboard in downtown Atlanta if I mentioned it. So so I had to send him on an excursion while Katie and I taped a Zoom call of us doing this pitch together. And then, okay, we go out and we film in June. So we still don't know, you know, are we going to be on the show or not? So the season 11 started that night during the the season premiere. I said, oh, Tripp, let's let's watch the season premiere. Shark Tank's going to be on. The intro video has me and Katie running out of the set with our pink pajamas on. So I'm looking at Tripp, and he's looking at the TV, and then he looks at me. And he's mad at first, and he's like, oh, my God, you're going to be on Shark Tank. So that's how he found out. That is funny. So, I mean, so you had, you must have had to go so far as to, as to tell him you're flying out to California. I did, and, make up and some, I made like, up a story. Honey, it's not oh, what you to, think. To I'm really just cheating investors? on you. <laughs> we, we were going to meet with investors, okay. which, well, we, which we were. That's true. Uh, I think I told him I was going to a conference. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, maybe that. I told some people I was going to meet with investors. That is, that is a howl. Um, so, so, okay. So this brings me then a very natural question because I know that you are, as I recall, watching the video, you received two offers to invest in the company, right? You selected one because you liked it better. Was it by Lori Griner? Is that who, or who was it that made the, the one you ultimately selected? Well, um, Barbara is the one. Barbara, that's right. Barbara. See, I don't watch the show. Wonderful gave us a licensing deal after he called it slumber prison. (laughs) Well, you know, look, I'm, I would imagine they also have a a specific persona they want to perpetuate to stay on the program. I I wonder if they're a little different in person than they are kind of in on, on TV. I loved it. It was funny. But, um, so, so even, I mean, I would have thought that after you'd, you'd agreed to accept an investment, 
that you would have thought you'd still be on TV. But even then, there's no guarantee, I guess. There is none. So now, now from what I read, the, 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 the investment part, the offer part is a little bit theatrical. Right, because it's not a it's not a is it it's not a binding commitment to make an investment. Really, just sort of is, and in fact, in my world, we just call that a letter of, of interest, basically, or a letter of intent. And then they had to kind of do what they were going to do to be to be comfortable with the investment. So, can you are you under NDA for that, or can you talk about what that process was like after offer to ultimately getting a deal done? So we actually. You have picked great timing for recording this pro- this podcast because we were under NDA until I think last month on how that all panned out. Okay. But as as you alluded to, Mike, you know what happens on TV. There's some there's more to it than what you see, and it's true that when we went out there and presented that. Not one of those sharks knew anything about our company. So they had blank pieces of paper. They don't get a lineup of who's going to come out there. And everything that we shared, we represented ourselves accurately. We we memorized our answers. We had flashcards. We decided in advance who would answer which questions. Um, we We really worked hard to be buttoned up and got some good help in order to do that. Um, but after that, that's when the due diligence starts. And we worked with somebody from Barbara's team, a guy named uh, Mike Stevens, who was really lovely. And he met with us at least once a week for several months to wow. go over <clears throat> any questions that he had to get our feedback on things. He requested documents that we, you know, meeting notes and financial projections and things like that. And he told us that while we were one of the most buttoned up pair of entrepreneurs that he'd ever met. And he was very impressed by us. And Barbara was very impressed by us and how they expected that we had a really bright future. Ultimately, they decided not to move forward with investing in us because they hoped that we were already on retail shelves. We never said we were. We were 100% honest in saying we're on Amazon and on our own website, but we have, we're in discussions with retailers. Um, but that was their rationale. So they backed out, but that meant that we got all the exposure and didn't have to give away any additional equity. And we didn't need the money at that point. We were cash positive. So really it worked out the best way it could. I suspect that it's something like 30% or less of the deals that go through on TV end up going through in real life because of the things that I just mentioned, but it sure still was a wonderful experience that we feel was worthwhile. You know, and <clears throat> you bring up an, an interesting point that I don't think is appreciated is, you know, investors are not infallible. And investors, when, when they get excited about a story, they can sometimes fill in gaps that they don't realize they're filling in gaps, right? And, and that, you know, they hear, for example, that you're selling $150,000 of product and they therefore assume that either you're already on store shelves or, some, or you're, you have that in your plan. They just didn't bother to ask that question. No, they did. They did ask that question. So that's the even more fascinating part of it. And the other funny thing, if you, for people who do watch the show that are listening is you hear different reasons for why they want to not move forward. And sometimes it's, we wish you were only online because the margins are better. And then other times it's, we wish you were in with retailers. So which is it? Because certainly our online sales do really well for us, especially those on our website. But it may be that the investors have a certain number that 
they strive to go through with and um, a certain percentage. And, you know, they say yes on TV, knowing that a certain percentage of, of them are going to turn to nose. Cast a wide net. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I, I think that's a little, that's interesting in terms of the inside baseball, because I think if you, if you're not paying attention, you think that that that's an actual deal that's happening um, in real time. And it's a little bit of a deal that's happening, but not the deal deal with a capital D that's happening. My only regret is that we didn't get to go on Barbara's trips because I really think she is an amazing businesswoman and such fun to be around. If you follow her on social, she is a hoot. And I, w- I would have loved to have gotten to know her personally. Now, did you did you have a patent or I guess you have a patent pending. Was your patent pending by the time you're on Shark Tank? We were patent pending by that point. We filed for a provisional patent in the fall of 2016. And we converted that to a utility patent application about a year later. If you could believe it, we actually are still pending. Um, we've had numerous uh, requests for additional, you know, extensions. They call them RCEs. What does an RCE stand for? I should know this as a as a inventor, but um, office actions and appeals and things like that. But we're still working through that, but are confident that we'll be able to come up with a few, you know, explanations for our claims that will allow us to be unique enough to receive that patent. But that's something that definitely creates a little bit of stress and anxiety for us because we want our product to have that intellectual property protection. And it really is a a moat that is hard to dig without it. We're talking with Katie Mallory and Lou Childs from Slumber Pod, and the topic is should I pitch on on Shark Tank? So, um, so you weren't allowed to tell anybody about the outcome until the thing actually thing actually was on air. How how hard was that? Um, it, <laughs> it was especially hard after we were in that intro video and people started coming up to me uh, <laughs> who watched Shark Tank and say. I saw you on the intro video. You're going to be on Shark Tank. And I was like, oh, I don't know for sure. And <laughs> we were so scared. Um, but it was it was not hard to tell the outcome because that, that was easy to keep a secret because people know you can't share that. But um, when, once the cat was a little bit out of the bag, it was it was really hard to hold back talking just about being in on the show in general. I am. Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, please go ahead. I was going to say I'm such an open book. It was hard to keep a secret because I'm. I just share everything. Um, I think I had a coworker ask me what I'd done lately, and I was like, "Oh, we just went to California. My mom and I did, and that was fun." And I wasn't even thinking. And he said, "What were you doing in California?" I said, "Oh, we were meeting with some investors," and he said you weren't on Shark Tank, were you? And I was like, uh, (laughs) why why on earth would you say that? Yeah. I wasn't (laughs) expecting to get asked that, but, um, I was really relieved. Like my mom, once we showed up on that promo and then eventually got an air date because then we could talk about it a lot more. Um, but it, it was tough to tough to maintain or keep the excitement inside. And that is a memory that will hold on to forever. How much fun everything was. But my, now, hair, 
We're Please in groups with other entrepreneurs. We're in a Facebook group with how many are in there? Like 40, Katie, that are baby products. And several of those companies have applied and been on Shark Tank. So it's really fun to watch other people's journeys. Um, I have actually um, encouraged several people that I know that are entrepreneurs and a couple of them are in the pipeline right now. So I think it's fun to be on this side and be a cheerleader for other people who are going through the same process. Now we can't help them um, because of uh, the NDA process where we're not allowed to be a part of whatever they're doing. But um, I certainly encourage people to just go do it. Why not? I do have to add though, that, there's been one time where somebody called me when I was asking about going on the show and I had to be very diplomatic, mm. but say, I don't think it's going to be successful for you. It is a company <laughs> that had no revenue, a Kickstarter campaign that didn't end up me- meeting its goal. And she said, well, what if somebody, you know, just really believes in me? And I said, well, there's about a 1% chance of that, maybe 5%. And I don't want to discourage you, but maybe this isn't the right timing. You know, maybe you need to try again with a smaller goal on one of those fundraising things and then get product in people's hands. But otherwise I'm just afraid you're going to get torn apart. And I hate to tell you that, but that's also, I think why you called was to get my honest take. Yeah. Good point. Look yeah. at you now. You're having office hours of your own. Ah, hilarious. <laughs> but uh, she she even, um, she said, well, maybe another investor will see me on the show and, and call and want to invest, even if I don't get a deal on the show. And it doesn't often work like that, unfortunately. But most of the companies we talk to, we're able to encourage them, especially if they have revenue, um, to go for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the reality is that, that getting somebody to invest in a startup is hard and it's supposed to be hard, right? There's just a lot more ideas out there and companies than there are dollars to fund them. And there's a scarcity and uh, for what it's worth them. I, I think not knowing anything about the company, but I think you gave them, gave them good advice is that, you know, there's always a chance you can get something funded. Bad deals get funded all the time, right? Is, is that a good thing or not? Who's to say, but you know, if, if, if you hang around long enough, you may run into that one person that finishes your sentences and they just totally get it. You don't have to explain it. The next thing you know, you, know, you got $100,000 or a quarter of a million dollars in the bank. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times along the way that you had people help prep you for the Shark Tank experience. Uh, you, you can mention names or not. It doesn't matter to me. But I'm just curious, what kinds of advisors, what, what advice were you seeking? How would you work with them? We had um, one of the things that they really require a lot of due diligence on are financials. So we worked with a contract CFO to um, do projections and um, just help us with all of our financials. We also took the opportunity to get our books cleaned up because, boy, were they a mess and we didn't know it. So it was it was really a great wake up call for us on the financial side, which is not one of Katie and my uh, strong suits. So um, it was really great timing for us to have that happen. Katie, what else can you think of? 
I was going to just add that that contract CFO, we literally asked her to pull about 20 different numbers out so that when they said, what's your, you know, you're not, we know our landed costs, but other margin numbers, we had all those memorized and I wouldn't have trusted myself to go and look at the spreadsheets and make those calculations myself. So that, yeah, that was a huge, huge, huge help. I'd say for Shark Tank, those were the biggest pieces. And there obviously have been a lot of other vendor partners along the way who've helped us with things like product development and manufacturing as well, because it takes a village, especially for a small company. You know, I I think that that, you know, what you talk about, as you describe in the financials, I think that's so underrated. Um, You know, accounting, accounting is just not sexy. I get it. I'm doing this as I'm, I'm a partner with a CPA firm. Accounting is not sexy, but boy, when you don't have it right, you miss it. And, um, uh, I, I, I do think, and this is underappreciated when people ask me, what can I do to make my company more saleable, have great accounting records, have them be bulletproof, have financials that somebody can look at and they just know that they're right and that, you know, they're right. Cause it gives you a lot of confidence. So it, I did not expect you to spend so much time describing working on that, but I'm, I'm glad that you did. And I am very confident. That's why you received that comment that you were quote, so buttoned up. I believe you're right because we we had it all clean and anything they ask us we had an answer for whether it was during the taping or during due diligence. The only numbers thing I was really worried about was having to do math on the fly for our valuation because I know that a lot of times say we went in asking for $400,000 in exchange for 20% of our company. Yep. And I was afraid they would ask like Hey, we'll we'll do four hundred thousand, but I want thirty percent of your company, and that I would have to then calculate what that made our valuation. And I'm a journalist by background. I am so comfortable looking at graphic design and writing articles, but oh, I would not have done well in accounting classes or uh, <laughs> finance classes. So that terrified me, and I actually almost brought with me a little index card that had a cheat sheet of if they say this and this, then it means this. But I ended up leaving it in our trailer at the last minute thinking they probably wouldn't like me relying on something that was in my pocket. So that was another reason why I was thrilled that they offered us our original request (laughs) because I didn't have to do the math. Yeah. It it was, it was interesting. I think the comment was that they they thought you were selling yourselves too short. Um. Yes, they they spent a lot of time telling us that we really didn't need an investor. But then Barbara's comment was, I'm going to take advantage of you. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I, I think to I think to an extent that that may have been right. Um, so what, when when did you actually when when did the pro, when did the program air and when did you when did you learn that you were going to be on Shark Tank? That's an interesting story and dovetails with what Katie said earlier about some companies never make it to TV. So we were originally slated for very early November. So they they give you three weeks, two or three weeks in advance of your your air date. And, And because we were on the intro video, we kind of suspected that we were going to air Um, But most entrepreneurs don't have any idea until they get that email three weeks in advance that says, okay, here's your air date and you can start talking about it. So we got that email and we immediately 
started blasting social media that we were going to be on Shark Tank. Well, about five days later, we get another email saying, oops, your date has changed. You are now the first, um, I think, was it Sunday night then or Friday night? I can't remember. Anyway, the first week of January 2020. um, And come to find out, one of the companies that was slated to be in our episode was ditched. So it, it was replaced by another company and those people never aired. And the episode, so we tried out in February, early February, we recorded in early-ish June, was going to air in November, but then got pushed out to early January. So more than six months passed after we recorded. But we also know a company that recorded our same day, and she ended up finding out her episode wasn't going to air. But then during COVID, they pulled some of those cut segments out of the archives and she did end up airing about a year and a half later after recording. So you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> That's but TV, we I had guess. The luxury that a lot of Shark Tank um, entrepreneurs don't have in knowing for many weeks that we were going to be on Shark Tank. So we started we started um, promoting it when they told us in late October all the way through to January. So we really felt that that boosted our November and December sales on top of it being holidays. People were like, well, when they when they get on Shark Tank, their inventory is going to sell out. So we better order it now. Um, So now you've had some distance, um, you know, without being, you know, I don't want to have you reveal uh, proprietary data, but. Where is the company now and how much did your Shark Tank experience impact your success? That's a great question. So we don't know for sure. Well, I'll start with the latter part of the question. So we don't know for sure um, what our sales would have been like if we had aired in November, but we have a feeling they would have been a little bit higher um, following our appearance because that was in advance of Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and other winter holiday travel. So with the new air date, that was after people had bought Christmas gifts, Hanukkah gifts, um, been doing all their traveling. And so with with no less money available, had already done their traveling, they probably thought to themselves like, oh, I'm going to earmark this for a later date, but I might not purchase right now. Our website traffic was up like 20x, hmm. but sales were only, I don't know, two and a half or three times more than usual for that day and a half or two days following the show. So we actually, we, I took off work. Uh, We cleared our calendars so that we could answer any social media questions and the barrage of emails that would come in. And we didn't get as much of that as we expected at Hmm. that time, um, which felt a little disappointing in the moment, but we now recognize that it's all about the long tail. It's not just about, how you're going to do immediately following your airing. So we are able to have as seen on Shark Tank on our website. It mentions it on our Amazon listing. We're members of these, I, I don't want to say elite, but you know, exclusive communities of people who were on Shark Tank where we can share best practices and network and you're only in because of that opportunity. So we, we still, even with it not being quite the sales boom that we expected, we recognized that it all worked out really well. Um, and we went on after, let's see, when we recorded, we'd done about $600,000 in sales. 
mostly in that calendar year. And then we ended up almost, let's see, we did one and a half million dollars for the back half of the year. Okay. So we, we did really well. And then we doubled that in 2020. And then we're looking like we'll probably double that again um, this year or more. I would think so. Especially now that people are going back to traveling, if you're able to grow when travel was at a standstill. That's um, right. Right. I mean, now, now, now the gloves are off. So, well, good for you guys. Um, Ladies, this has been a a, a really just a, a fun talk. A lot of learned a lot of things I did not expect to learn today. And, um, you know, other people may want to kind of get your advice. Maybe they're thinking about Shark Tank or a similar program like, I don't know, Dragon's Den or whatever it is. Um, if, if they want to get your advice, like you've been, been kind of to give out, can, can they contact you? And if so, what's the best way to do that? I think the easiest way to, for people to remember how to get in touch with us is just to email our customer service. It's contact at slumberpod.com. And then our customer service team can forward either to me or Katie and, and we'll get back to them as soon as possible. All right. So just mentioned to them that you uh, you heard them on the Decision Vision podcast. They know that you're not riffraff trying to get in and mm-hmm. uh, right. be happy to take care of you. So th- this is awesome. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Katie Mallory and Lou Child so much for joining us and sharing their expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.